0: Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, our reading today comes to us from the Gospel According to Mark. Among the Gospel uh, According to Mark, um, it's probably the most neglected Uh, gospel by the early church, I think. In fact, no commentary was written on Mark until the 6th century. It is by far the shortest of the four gospels. Ninety percent of the stories that are found in Mark also occur in Matthew and Luke. The early church father, Augustine of Hippo, considered Mark to be nothing more than a mere abbreviation of Matthew and Luke. Mark's gospel also has a somewhat rougher, less literary style than its peers. The historical neglect, however, I'm glad to say, has been reversed in recent years, and today Mark is among the most intensely studied of the four gospels. A significant majority of scholars consider it to have been the first gospel written, somewhere around 70 CE, and it was a primary source for both Matthew and Luke. Mark writes with a powerful and energetic literary style full of drama, mystery, and color. Mark tells his story of Jesus with a sense of urgency that surpasses everything in the other gospels. Everything in this, in this account seems to happen very, very quickly. In fact, the Greek word meaning immediately, it's a verb, euthus is how you say it, is used 42 times in this gospel and 11 times in the first chapter alone. Indeed, as our reading today reveals, before we can even catch our breath, something amazing happens, revealing the identity of Jesus and signals the beginning of his earthly ministry. Let us hear now this urgent word from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Here at the beginning of something, dare I say, new. Something new for me. Something new for all of you. Perhaps it is appropriate that we begin this journey together on the first day of the year as we march toward Epiphany Sunday next week. Epiphany, love that word. It's a word meaning manifestation. Our appearance is derived from a Greek word meaning to appear. Liturgically, Epiphany, or Theophany, or Three Kings Day, as it's called in some traditions, is a time of beginnings. It celebrates the revelation of God incarnate as Jesus Christ. It marks a moment in time where something new has begun. In Western Christianity, the Feast of of Epiphany commemorates principally, but not solely, the visit of the Magi to the Christ child and thus Jesus's physical manifestation manifestation to the Gentiles. Eastern or Orthodox Christians, on the other hand, commemorate the baptism of Jesus on this day and see this as his manifestation to the world as the Son of God. And as you no doubt can guess from our gospel reading, this morning we will turn our attention to that particular aspect of epiphany to see what it might mean for all of us here at this moment of beginning. I have to tell you, confession. The Gospel of Mark is by far one of my favorite gospels. I love the Gospel of Mark, I do, read it all the time. Most scholars believe, like I said, that it was the very first gospel composed somewhere around 70 AD. The author of the gospel is direct and to the point. That's why I like it. 16 chapters, 678 words. It's the shortest of all four gospels. It moves quickly, did you get it? No birth narrative, no lengthy genealogy. In fact, by chapter three, we find that not only has the ministry of Jesus hit full throttle, but Jesus has already done a spectacular job at ticking off the Pharisees. In fact, in verse six of chapter three, we are told that the Pharisees have already moved to conspire with the Herodians on how they might destroy this troublemaker. Mark, you see, has a point to make and he makes it quickly Unequivocally, at a river (laughs) with a crazy-looking dude dressed in a loincloth, eating locusts, dipped in honey. That's where we find out what Mark wants us to know. And it's simple, that this man, this Jesus, is nothing less than the Son of God. Beloved, that is the entire theme and purpose of Mark's gospel. Everything revolves around that one specific point. And so it begins at a moment of baptism, an epiphany. It appears, a new beginning, a ministry unfolds that will change everything. But if you're anything like me, you're still left asking, what really just happened? <laughs> What's Mark? telling us about this this baptism, how how does it all fit together in the the broader Christmas story, and and, and what does it mean for us specifically right now at at this moment? I don't know about you, but the time between Christmas Day and New Year's Day is sort of like living in the twilight zone. (laughs) I I mean, in the church, there's this huge buildup, right, to the season of Advent and a big eventful candle-filled night on Christmas Eve, and we wake up early on Christmas Day, and some of you actually came to church on Christmas Day, thank you. It's the day that everything's been moving towards and then, and then suddenly, just like, just like that, it's, it's, it's over, right? Happy birthday, Jesus, presents open, family fed, the mess is cleaned up, and it's over. Now, what do I do with the rest of my time off before I have to go back to work? I, it's just funny, just this past week, my, my wife and I joked that we kept forgetting what, what day it was. <laughs> it's like, what day is it again? We, we were waiting for the rhythms of life, you see, to start again. As Christians on Christmas days, we celebrate this glorious moment. A baby is born, God is with us, yay. And yet we find ourselves waiting, I think sometimes, just, just wondering, looking for the moment in which it's all gonna really, really begin. It makes me think about that in-between time that Mary and Joseph must have felt. Have you ever really thought about what it was like to have Jesus as a baby? <laughs> I mean, they had the baby in spectacular fashion, I might add, but now what? I mean, they knew stuff. Mary did know stuff, by the way, and so did Joseph. They had been told that this kid was something special. He was a Messiah. Yet there was still a lot of unanswered questions out there, the main one being, when when is it all going to begin? When would the reconciling mission begin and take shape, and what would it look like, I wonder? I wonder. Let's look at the text this morning, specifically the back end of it, verses nine through 11. The writer tells us these words. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Now, first, I want you to notice something about this story. This baptism narrative is placed not within the public ministry of Jesus, but rather functions as kind of a prologue. Coupled with the temptation, the baptism performs a function, like I said, that's important to the entire Gospel of Mark. It establishes the identity and authority of the story's central character, namely Jesus of Nazareth. The structure of the text reveals this. It's not that it's simply imparting information about a historical event, this is its primary function. Verse nine tells us about the event, followed by verses 10 and 11 that break down this epiphany or this manifestation into two parts, a vision and a voice, and oh. The vision is remarkable, isn't it? I mean, can you just see it in your mind's eye? As Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens are ripped apart, it says, torn open. It's in the passive voice. It it implies an act of the Almighty God. It's the same verb that the author of Mark uses later in chapter 15 to describe the temple curtain being ripped or torn apart from top to bottom. In both cases, what has long been sealed, you see, is suddenly flung open. It's, it's, it's dramatic. It's powerful. Jesus' ministry begins and answers the long-deferred hope by the prophet Isaiah when he wrote those sacred words, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Oh, I love it. Now next, the content of the vision is revealed as the spirit descends from heaven like a dove. The descent of the dove on Jesus at his baptism shows that he is the one that is greater than John. Jesus, empowered by the spirit, will now baptize his followers with the spirit. And then finally, there's that voice, an audible voice. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Now there's one final element I want you to take note of. I don't want you to miss this. In Mark, unlike Matthew or John's version of this event, both the vision and the voice are intended for Jesus alone. Did you hear me? Only for Jesus. Beloved, there is nothing in that text that suggests that others present heard or saw anything. We as the reader have now been informed of the true identity of Jesus in this baptismal epiphany, yet at a narrative level, that truth so far is only known to Jesus. This is, shall we say, a secret epiphany. Jesus knows who he is by means of an experience that is not accessible to objective or public verification, rather others must discover the truth. And this is what's important here. Others must discover this truth by listening to what Jesus says and watching what he does. Did you hear me? They don't know what happened. They didn't hear a voice. They didn't see a dove. He did. They didn't. So from this point forward, his identity is revealed by what he says. His identity is revealed by what he does. It's ironic that it's actually a centurion at the cross who would unwittingly publicly declare who Jesus was. This man was in fact, the son of God, he says, remember? Kind of ironic, what does that mean for us? In Mark, the baptism of Jesus establishes his identity. In the writings of the Apostle Paul, the baptism of believers establishes our identity. In both cases, rest an important point that I want you to grab a hold of. God chooses us, not the other way around. It's a gift, a gift freely given. We, all of us in this room and out there in the wide world, hold value by virtue of the fact that we were created, chosen, and loved by God. Full stop. Did you hear me? I thought somebody screamed, Amen, at that point. All of us hold value by virtue of the fact that we are created, chosen, and loved by God. Jesus is who he says he is. So also are we, who God says we are in Christ Jesus. We are children of God, God's beloved. As Paul writes, God's chosen and beloved, we have been called, every one of us, to put on Christ, as he tells the Galatians. And yet the identity declared by God is only a word until it is revealed with the convincing power of the unfolding story of our own lives. You see, in the same manner in which Jesus' identity in Mark's gospel is revealed to others by what he says and does, I think so too must we reveal God's grace through our actions and through our words. Mark describes for us an event that we can all embrace this morning. It was a moment where Jesus stepped out and accepted the vocation to which he had been called. And beloved, I want you to hear this, vocational calling is a gift that we all bear. It is an essential part of a journey that we can all take, the acceptance of vocation within the great purposes of God. It's for all of us. It means allowing our lives to be lifted, you see, out of the near horizons and enclosing walls and letting them be set in the larger framework of God's love and work in this world. It is the greater journey that we can all take together, one that can move us, I think, into the wider realm of service to God's children and to God's purpose. One morning some time ago, a long time ago, I can't even remember when, I arrived at Custer Road United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas, where I was a member for decades and was serving at the time. I got there really early in the morning. As is my morning practice, I went to the sanctuary to pray for a bit I do that here too it was dark in that big space I gotta be it's kind of spooky actually no lights on no no, just really dark and then the sun had not quite come up yet as I sat there in front of the pew something amazing happened you see just as the sun rose it was shining on this, this big, huge stained glass window facing the eastern horizon. And, and in that moment, the entire sanctuary, this huge sanctuary, it just suddenly lit up with this array of color as the sun shone through the stained glass. That, that stained glass window, it, it, it captured the sun's radiance and it just threw it back in that moment filtered it in that dark, spooky place with a blaze of glory and color and beauty. It was breathtaking. I realize that right now, at this moment, this beginning, it might be sort of scary. Maybe, you can be honest, I'll be honest. I I don't know, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what the coming days hold for us, but I remain ever hopeful. At least, at the very least, I remember the words of recording artist David Bowie. I don't know where I'm going from here, he said, but I promise it won't be boring. Love that guy. Look, it's okay to feel a bit guarded, perhaps cautiously optimistic about the unknown that lies before us. But my friends remember this. When a life catches the reflection of the glory of God which is in the face of Christ. It becomes a burning and shining light, bursting into the darkness and providing an array of color and beauty that is just amazing. The light of Christ, you see, this this wonderful gift that we celebrated just last week, it provides us with so much meaning and dignity and joy and beauty that I think one of the supreme tragedies of this life is to miss it. So I call on you now, each and every one of you. Let us go forth, accepting our vocation. Let us go forth together on this wonderful journey, remembering our identity as God's beloved, accepting our vocation to spread God's love to the world and to this community. And let us put on Christ and reveal the power of God in all that we say and in all that we do. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.